This podcast is brought to you by the website of doom.com. Hello, and thank you for listening to episode nine of Aaron Fever Talks 2. I am Aaron Fever, and this month I'm talking to Marvel editor extraordinaire. I think I use extraordinaire a lot uh, as a as a adjective, um, but yes, she's uh, wonderful. Her name is Heather Antos, and she's an editor on uh, the Star Wars comics and Deadpool at Marvel. And um, I got to meet her uh, in person uh, earlier this year, and got on. She thought she was great, and uh, lucky enough to keep in contact with her and ask her to do this interview with me because um, it was a delight talking to her for an hour. Uh, we talk about uh, all sorts of uh, gory sports injuries and um, just fun life in general. Uh, so I hope you will enjoy this one. Uh, this podcast exists because of the wonderful support of people on Patreon. Um, if you go to patreon.com forward slash Aaron Fever, uh, you can uh, contribute as little as $1 a month. And that dollar will not only get you silly things like my word a week videos and different articles I post, but also it will get you this podcast earlier than everybody else in the world. Um, usually it's at least a week earlier than when it gets posted on iTunes. So if you want to get in on the act, um, it, all it takes is as little as $1 a month and uh, you will have my love forever. Uh, so yeah, so uh, get, we'll get into this uh, with with Heather. I was lucky enough to um, catch her for some interview time. She's a very busy woman. Um, this is all just before I snuck off to Dragon Con. Um, so uh, it was wonderful timing that I got to speak to her. And yeah, uh, please enjoy the following conversation. You have a dog's birthday today? Yeah, my uh, my baby, my Flash Wonder Dog, as I call him, is three years old today. <laughs> But here's, I find, like, where you, I find dog birthdays are very inaccurate because most of the time people don't actually know the day they're born. Well, this is what the paperwork's told me, so. Okay. Oh, so you have, you actually have, like, a document telling you this, so that's not too Yeah, sad. yeah. Yeah, I, you know what, you want to know what's sad, though, about it is, um, it's also my little brother's birthday, and I could never remember my little brother's birthday until I got Flash and they had the same birthday. <laughs> oh, that is bad. <laughs> like, I always knew my brother's birthday was within this week. You know, I, I always confuse it between, like, the 26th, 27th, or 28th. And then we we got Flash and I was like, oh, it's the 27th. Christopher's the 27th. Now I'll never forget Christopher's. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you got many brothers and sisters? I only have two. I have two brothers and sisters. Okay. Um, but but Christopher's birthday is kind of the odd duck in the family because everyone else's is like April, February, April, May. Like everyone else in my extended family, like we're all you know spring babies, and then Christopher is just this weird August thing. Okay. I thought yeah. I remember. I don't know if this was the same for you, but when I was in school growing up, everybody seemed to have their birthdays during the summer. And I was one of the weirdos. My my, my birthday is like the last day of November. So okay. like I'm kind of the I was always the odd one out within my school group because everyone was just always summer babies. And I, I found that weird that like just as a, a group of species, we all kind of like, you know, uh, <laughs> birth around the same time. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense if you if you take back like ancestry and, you know, if you have a baby during the winter, chances are the baby's not going to survive. And <laughs> <laughs> if you yeah. really want to go dark with it. <laughs> well, I suppose I, I do live in Ireland, so, you know, our winters are particularly miserable. So <laughs> I don't think it is something that you want to be doing uh, back in the, the day when, you know, toilets were outside. So really, Aaron, what we've concluded here is you're lucky to be alive. <laughs> I am. Aren't we all? Uh, <laughs> isn't that the beautiful thing about life? Um, you're okay. You're a good bit younger than me, right? I'm 26. So. Yeah, yeah. You're six years younger than me. You're you're the same age as my girlfriend, which is which is which is handy because there's a reference point in my head. Um, <laughs> because uh, yeah, sometimes I kind of get like worried about like kind of. Uh, when you're talking to people, like the cultural, pop cultural reference points can be completely bizarre. But like you, me and you have a lot of similar interests. Yeah, um, yeah. Like we we both have done a lot of performance stuff. Yeah. Um, we uh, both obviously love comics. Obviously. Um, we both have a love of like, you know, sci-fi TV shows and stuff like that. 
Um, if I remember rightly, you're like you're you're like a Star Trek kid as well as a Star Wars fan, right? Yeah, I'm not as much like as a kid. I I grew up watching a ton of Star Trek, and then uh, I just kind of fell out of it. So I'm not like super nerdy Trekkie. If I was a kid, I would I would school you. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit rusty, so yeah, no, that's fine. But like, do you think like because when you have because um, you like you like a bit of sports as well, don't you? I do, yeah. I played sports throughout my entire life until I had a career-ending injury, as they say. So, well, okay, you got to tell me about this. Uh, it's kind of grody, but uh, so when I was in high school, um, oh, okay, okay, to clarify, back a little backstory. So, I my entire life, I played soccer, volleyball. I, I dabbled in basketball for a little bit because they're like oh you're tall you'll be good at it but I was terrible (laughs) um but like soccer was my main sport and so to stay in shape in the off seasons I did cross country and track and when I was in my third year of high school I was 16 I was just running a regular meet just like any other race and all of a sudden I felt this like pop in my leg and I, like, kind of stumbled a bit, but I think because of the adrenaline, you know, it didn't really hit me right away when it happened, and then, like, two steps later, I just feel this wrenching pain, and what happened was I snapped my Achilles tendon. Oh, no. And so, yeah, so for anyone listening doesn't know what your Achilles tendon is, it's, it's that nice little uh, rubber band, essentially, that connects your ankle all the way to your butt. And when it snaps, it it kind of bunches up in your body. <laughs> I mean, does you still feel the effect of that now? Uh, I do, yeah. So it's... So I had to have surgery. I was in physical therapy for like six months. I was on crutches for six months. Like it was, it was a whole ordeal. And they were basically like, uh, you should never play sports again. Um, and anytime like you break a bone or you tear a muscle or anything like that, usually when it heals, it heals back stronger. Yeah. Except for tendons. Tendons don't. Um, they heal back weaker. And so I still sometimes to this day, like if I'm standing for too long or if I have a day where I'm on my feet, like super, super long, like I, I feel like, I don't, I don't know how to describe the pain, but it hurts, like, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and we found out the cause of why this happened was because one of my legs is almost a full inch longer than the other leg. Feck off. No. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is all very fascinating, I'm sure. I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you, I am completely fascinated and I might throw half my other questions for the rest of this interview to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's not well it's not really something that they, they, they test for, you know, it's not like they're like, Okay, let's bring your kid in today and figure out uh, if they're lopsided. Um did you, and, like, how did you notice? Did you notice that you leaned well, a little bit? Well, I had always had, I had always had ankle issues, but we always just assumed it's because I'm super active. Right. And then, and in, in, when I did dance, when I was taking dance classes, you know, I was always told like, "Oh, you're off balance, you're off center." But to me, like, I felt centered. Um, so they would always, you know, the ballet teacher would come up and like smack my one arm to like even me out, I guess. <laughs> and but you, you never thought anything of it. And so when I was done with physical therapy, I was still having all of these issues. Um, And it's because, you know, the Achilles healed weaker. And so I went to a podiatrist and they had me sit up against a wall, like put my hips square up against the wall and stick my feet out. And they pushed against my feet. And you saw that one leg was just uh, that much longer than the other. Um, by a good amount. Now, most people's legs aren't perfectly even. Most people will be off by like a quarter of an inch or oh, so. Oh yeah, like that. everybody's body is like that because like the way your heart is positioned is supposed to affect everything. So like you know, butts right. and boobs and like everything is supposed to be one side bigger than the other, like hands and everything. 
Right. And, uh, but for me, I guess it means I have a big heart. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it was a whole inch off. And so they, you know, there's all this like stupid foot inserts I'm supposed to do so I don't hurt myself. But I like to wear, you know, flip flops and stuff. And you can't really wear inserts with flip flops. (laughs) So I'm like, fuck it, you know? (laughs) So wait, is the, is the ankle that you hurt, is that on your shorter leg or your longer leg? It's on my shorter leg. Oh. So what happened, it's just like all this extra pulling. Yeah, it was working harder to keep up with the other one. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> um, no, if we want to spend this whole time talking about my weird medical obscurities, we can. Like, I got, I got another good one for you. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll sneak one of mine in to even it out so you don't feel too okay, bad. Okay, okay. Um, so when I was um, in primary school, which is your elementary school, so I was right. about, like, maybe, like, you know, uh, nine or ten, um, uh, I had, my knees would click and uh, it would be quite painful and I, was, I didn't understand what it was. So I went for some tests and I found out that I have weak cartilage in my knees, uh, yeah. which for anybody who doesn't know is just basically the kind of fluid between your uh, bones in your like knee that kind of keep it moving. And uh, so if I was very, very active, um, you know, it would just cause problems, which, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, no, I'll never be that famous football player that I thought I would be. <laughs> uh, even though I was like, I loved sports and I loved playing, but I was never good at any of them. Um, but uh, a weird effect they found out when I got older, so when I was like 16, 17 and starting to drink alcohol and stuff and going on nights out, um, if I had a bad hangover, it wouldn't really affect my head or my stomach, but my knees would ache. That's so weird. I know, and to this day, like even just like last week, I I was uh, celebrating a friend's wedding and and the next day my knees were killing me because I was hungover. So yeah. Or you were dancing too hard. (laughs) Trust me, I was not. (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely entered into like dad dancing territory uh, in the last few years where I'm just like, I'll wiggle badly and throw my arms and like a chicken side to side. Like, so yeah, I'm I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in danger of hurting in that way. Oh my gosh, that's so weird. Yeah, I don't know if it's just like being dehydrated when you're hungover and maybe because it's like a fluid thing in your legs. I don't know. Oh, that would, that would make sense. But I don't, that's so weird. Oh man, <laughs> I'm trying to like wrap like, you know, my brain around it and I can't. <sighs> so what's your other one then? So my other one, this is, this is a fun one that I always uh, – get weird looks at um so i have i have a lot of allergies i'm allergic to like you know normal stuff like uh specific types of grass and some food allergies and stuff like that but uh i have a very special allergy i'm uh allergic to my own sweat (laughs) that's something now that i feel like if someone wrote in a sketch they'd be like come on no one's gonna I'm, believe this i'm literally allergic to hard work as i like to say okay but like how because if it's in your body how is it that it, you get a reaction when it comes out of your body so it, i get a reaction when it dries on my skin i get like this really itchy dry painful rash oh. um yeah it's it's great and we found out actually through sports we found out um when I was a kid, whenever I would get back from like soccer games or whatever, and you take off my socks and shin guards, I would have these rashes in the shape of my shin guards. And we could never figure it out. Like we were like, oh, it's the material of the shin guards. So we changed the shin guards. Nope. It's still, it's still happening. It's still happening. And, uh, so we, we went to the doctor and they did all these tests and they figured, and they were just like, oh yeah, you're allergic to yourself. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> luckily, luckily I, I'm very lucky in that I don't sweat easily. Um, right. I'm a bit like that too. I, it, it takes quite a lot to, to make me sweat. Yeah. It takes quite a lot to, to make me sweat. And if, and if I ever do, like it's simple take a quick, you know, cloth, wipe yourself down and, and, and you'll be okay. But it was just, I would get, you know, the weirdest shaped rashes all over my body from, like, different sports equipment. <laughs> that, uh, so, basically, everything about your life was trying not to let you be a sports star. Basically, yeah. I'm just, it's not, it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be. <laughs> would, would, if, if, if you, because I know you were telling me you did, like, high jump as well. Like, I did. I did high jump in high school as well. <laughs> <laughs> you did a lot. So, if, which one would you, if you could have picked one to be professional in? Oh, soccer, hands down. What was your position? 
I was goalie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, soccer hands down. I, like, breathed and bled soccer. Um, so, yeah. it's I, I've, I play a couple, like, dropping games here and there um, when I can, but it just it gets really painful sometimes. And it's, like, one of those, I like walking. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it would be. Although goalie out of all the positions means you have to move the least. So, so you jump. You do a lot of jumping. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I remember I was, I think I was, again, I was about seven or eight. Um, and my friends, I'd, I'd always, I always one of these people that traveled in packs of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, my groups were always like, I had a couple of like two friends in different places. And, and one of them who were kind of my sporty friends. Uh, they, uh, one, Mark, his older brother, was in college and he wanted to make a documentary as part of his college project. And so he chose the three of us to make a documentary about us. This is like a 10 minute documentary. And uh, it was about how we used to play football in the back garden all the time with each other. And, uh, or soccer. I know this is confusing for anybody who's. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, who's listening and like we're going back and forth on our terms. But, uh, but yeah they asked me like oh what's your position and I was like I was almost like a hipster football kid I was like <laughs> left defensive midfield and I was like that's not even a position it's not even a real thing but I was trying to be so articulate into where I, I, I fit onto the pitch um, but yeah it was really just because it was the place where nobody would give me hassle for doing something wrong um, so yeah so do you find that when you were growing up that you would have like you know sports friends and then you know nerd friends and kind of all mixed up yeah i had like i never really had a core friend group until probably like middle school like in in elementary school i had like okay these are my two kind of nerdy friends and we talk power rangers with each other and then these are my soccer buddies that i hang out with at recess and then uh you know, I had my friends in my, like, dance classes and stuff after school. But, uh, and then in middle school, I had, I had, I I never really had a group of nerd friends until, like, now. <laughs> <laughs> I was always kind of the weird nerd one. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, because you did, was it, because I did some research. Uh-oh. Uh, I found your YouTube page. Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, I'm assuming you did, uh, like, performance in college, was it? It was some sort of performance course? Yeah, I double majored in theater and film um, okay. in college, yeah. Um, so, I find that group particularly is very non-liking sports. You know, you do get some nerd sports crossover, but I find, like, you know, people who act or, or, or musicians tend to not give a, f- a fuck at all about any sort of activity yeah there was in in college there was like in in uh in our theater department i want to say like i had my one friend that i talked football with and i had my one friend that i talked hockey with and we all kind of were like (laughs) the sports people and then everyone else is like oh stop stop talking about sport ball crap but uh um although i was lucky and where where i did go to go to school it was a very big sports town um, so it was one of those, like, everyone kind of tolerated the sports, even if they didn't approve of it. <laughs> it was it was socially acceptable. Yeah. Because, yeah, because um, yeah, I know you're from Michigan, right? I am. Are you from, like, a, like a, a more country part of Michigan, or are you from more, like, you know, the urban area? Um, I grew up on the west side of Michigan. I grew up right on, on Lake Michigan, um, right across from Chicago. So I grew up an hour outside of Chicago. It's very, it it was a small town, but we were always close to cities. So it didn't quite feel like a small town. Like, I think my my town was something like maybe like 12,000 people. Um, but, uh, we were like an hour from Chicago. So yeah, you didn't feel isolated. Right. Um, and and plus because we we lived on the lake, um, it was a very touristy area, so it wasn't like super country. Oh, did you have like an amusement arcade in your in your town and stuff like that? Nothing like that. Uh, there there was if you drove up the road like twenty minutes, um, but like we had like all these nice like riverfront parks and all these cool like festivals that would happen all the time. Um, so. So I mean that that stuff was nice, but uh, 
I don't I don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I know you're living in Jersey now. I am. Yeah. But do you have to do you have to go into the do you have to go into New York for work? Yep, every day. Okay. And so like Okay, is that is that a big change for you? Like, as far as like, does that feel very different from back home? I don't, not really. I, I mean, I, I love people give Jersey shit all the time, but I love where we live. <laughs> we live like we're probably seven miles outside of the city, so we have a great view of the skyline. Okay. Um, we have trees and we have grass. <laughs> Always a bonus. Bonus. Our rent is cheaper. Uh, no, it's it's nice. I think it's a perfect transition spot for uh, both my fiance and me because um, we're in the we're in the suburbs, and where we moved from in Michigan, we moved from the suburbs of Detroit. So it, it's kind of it, it still kind of feels like home. It's a little more dense, um, but uh, it, it doesn't feel like we're you know out of out of the water at all. Okay, and I'm assuming weather-wise, it's probably very similar too, right? Very similar. Um, winters back home were a lot harsher, but other than that, it's very, very similar. Okay. Uh, now, have you always been? Have you? Did you grow up with dogs then as well? Did you? I didn't. No, my mom was always very anti anti pets. She loved. She she didn't mind like going to other other families that had like pets, but she didn't want them around our house. Okay. Um, and so this was like a thing that you were dying to do was to get like two giant like German shepherds. <laughs> I wanted a smaller dog originally. I wanted like not like a tiny terrier, but I wanted like a you know a little medium medium sized dog. But Zach has always my fiance. He's always wanted a big dog, and he's always wanted huskies. And you know, doing my research, I'm like huskies aren't really like cuddly dogs they they kind of like to keep to themselves they're prone to run away and so i was like if i'm gonna have a big dog i want one that's gonna listen to me and it's gonna be smart and uh so i was like we're getting a german shepherd and now we have two yeah <laughs> although like phys- physically as well i think german shepherds are a nice compromise because they're they're similar in hus- to huskies a little bit you know they're they're kind of that wolf-like almost sort of dogs they're actually closer to wolves than husky relation-wise oh, really yeah they're they're like I think it's something like ninety nine percent related to huskies. The uh, the but I are related to wolves, not huskies. But yeah, they're like super close. I'm a, but is it weird having like two together? Like because they are must be a handful. Uh, as we're recording, they're wrestling in the living room. I know. Rooms, I, can, so. I can kind of hear a little bit of it already. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean. They can be. We we walk them six miles a day, Damn. so that helps. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean the the big thing is is just you know keeping them, keeping them you know, blah, 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 I can't talk. They're working dogs, so you want to make sure they get plenty of exercise. I think they say they need to get at least forty five minutes of exercise a day. Um, to help keep them from tearing your place apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, do you have a good yard that you can kind of let them run around in as well? No, we don't have a yard, which is kind of sad because that, that was, I'm sure that was a hard transition for Flash when we moved out here. It's because he had a nice yard back home and now he doesn't have one, oh. but he gets plenty of walks. There's a nice dog park um, like a mile away. That he gets to go to. That's oh, that's a thing that's kind of fascinating to me because it's something that we don't really have in Ireland is the is the idea of a like a dog park. Like I'm assuming, is it like are they just not allowed in normal parks, and so it's just a dog safe park, or it's is it not, park particularly for dogs? It's a park particularly for dogs. So basically, most dog parks are within like normal parks. It's just a fenced off area that you can let your dog off the leash and they can just run around with other dogs and play. And, um, ours is separated into two dog parks. You have one for big dogs and one for little dogs. And then, uh, I don't know who it is, if it's the city or if it's just some nice person. Uh, but there's always all these brand new tennis balls <laughs> that are there. And my dogs love tennis balls. Right. So, uh, yeah, we get to like run around with them and, 
and all that. Is so. there a big social scene then with the owners in these dog parks? Everyone's just Some. like making friends. Some there's, I mean, there's definitely you get you definitely get to know the other people's dogs and like who who goes with what dogs, and then you definitely have the whole like. Oh, this group of people does not like that person and their dog. Their dog's the bad behaved dog. When they show up, we all leave, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's bullying, Heather. Well, they need to teach their dog to behave. <laughs> their dog starts fights. <laughs> so, okay, well, well, let's fast forward a little bit then because you moved to Jersey for a reason. I did. You're working at Marvel. Yeah. How, how did that happen? Uh, a lot of hard work and a lot of luck. Um, I mean, yeah. for, first of all, was it a, was it a goal of yours? Cause you're, you're similar to me in the sense, cause we were talking about similarities at the start of it. You're similar to me in the sense that you have a lot of different interests and, uh, you had done a lot of different things. Like you've done short films, you've like, you know, you've done a bit of modeling, you've done like a lot of different stuff. Um, so at what point did you ever think like, Oh, I want to be an editor. Well, it goes it goes back to college. When I graduated college, I had uh, I had two degrees, one in film, one in theater. And after you know spending twenty two years of my life doing nothing but film and theater, I graduated, and I was kind of like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I still love it, but I'm tired of it. Yeah. Um, I think it, I was just burnt out of dealing with uh, you know extroverted people all the time. Um, and I was, I was part of a web series called Lagged Out, and the creator turned to me one day and he was just like, have you ever thought about comic book editing? I think you'd be good at that. Because um, he knew I was a comic fan, and, uh, and it wasn't until that moment when he said that that I realized people get paid to make comics. Like, it's one of those things like... <laughs> Like, oh, they just, you know, like, I know someone draws it and someone writes it and all this stuff, but I never, like, really considered it as a career option because it's not something that's talked about ever except within the industry. Yeah. Um, And so once he mentioned that to me, I then was trying to do research and, like, what does a comic editor do? And there isn't a lot of resources to help that. Like, you know, the comic editor hires the talent and they edit the book, but what does editing comics mean? It's obviously not the same as editing a novel. Um, So I just began on Twitter to reach out to any editor that I could think of to be like, hey, will you be at C2E2 this year? I want to talk comic editing. What does an editor do? And that's how I met uh, Scott Alley of Dark Horse and Jordan White of Marvel, who's now my boss. Um... And both of them agreed to sit and talk with me, and uh, I had a really good conversation with Jordan. Um, and he just kind of broke down, you know, the alchemy that is comic book editing. And after that, I decided, like, this sounds cool. I want to do this. Um, but then I began to panic because I'm out of college. I can't get an internship at a publisher. How am I going to get a publisher to hire me? Right. So I put, to, I put together my own big comic anthology called Unlawful Good. Um, and, yeah, I put that out over the summer. I got it kickstarted, raised eleven grand to publish it. Um, and so fast forward six months later that year at New York Comic Con, I ran into Jordan again and I was like, hey, look what I did. You know, I took what you told me and ran with it. Um, and a month later, I had a job interview. It's, yeah, it's amazing how much just because it seems so simple in a way of like, well, if I can just show somebody that I can do it, then they might trust me to do it. But then you, you see it so many times. Like, and I'm sure you've probably seen it at conventions where people are kind of like, you know, oh, like, you know, how can I break in? And it's just like, just show me that you can do the job, you know, <laughs> and we will, right. we'll, we'll take, we'll give you, we'll consider you. Well, you get that, but then you also, and one of, one of the biggest things that like Jordan talked to me about is he was like, it's so rare to see someone who actually is interested in just editing because you get a lot of people that are editorial interns or even assistant editors who like they want editing to be their stuff into writing or they want it to be their stuff into drawing, which is fine. I mean, Mark Wade started as an editor. Cliff Chang started as an editor. Peter Tomasi, like so many of these guys started as editors. Um, 
But like, I was like, no, I want to, I, I want to edit comics. And so like that, you know, clicked with him and kind of made me stand out. But it was also, it was also huge luck. It was huge luck that he would even talk to me. It was huge luck that at the same time that I did this whole project that they were currently hiring assistant editors. Like yeah. it was just a lot of things, you know, fell into place at the right time. Um, but what was it about the editing part of it that drew you instead of the writing part? Like, what was it about editing that made you think, like, oh, this is my jam? It's a lot like putting on a show. Like, a lot of the editors at Marvel have some sort of background in performance or film in some way. Um, a lot of us were theater majors or film majors. And so it's a very similar in, in that, like, you, you come up with your your show, your, your title or whatever, hmm. you cast it, um, you know, you work on it for months and then you have, you know, your deadline, you have your final show day and it all has to be ready by then, no matter what, you know, um, and then it's out there into the world and you do the next one. <laughs> so, yeah, because I, I hear a lot of people, because um, uh, colorists and editors, I feel, are the, the two roles within comics that I, I think most seem like magic to uh, the average uh, consumer. Because it's the two roles that I think confuse people the most. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and I've often heard people use like the kind of movie reference uh, or a movie analogy because I think people are more familiar with movies in the sense of the idea of... Uh, you know, uh, the writer is the writer, the artist is the director, the colorist is the cinematographer. So I guess the editor would be like a producer, really. Yeah, that's that's the that's the closest um, I would say is the editors is like your film or TV producer. And uh, but here's the I guess here's the thing because I you know um, this, the the part of that happens with editors is that they can often you know change positions for doing well. And no longer be an editor because they're good at being an editor, if that makes sense. Because like, if you're a really good writer, no one's going to promote you to another role. They're just going to keep you as a writer and get you to do more books. But if you're really good as an editor, they tend to promote you within the company. Yeah, you can. There's there's a couple different ways I've seen editors get promoted. Um, one, the most recent one, probably the most uh, known um, right now in the industry, is Sana Amina who she is the co-creator and editor of Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan. And because of, you know, how well she did with that book and everything else that she does, she got promoted to, oh, gosh, I'm going to butcher this title, but uh, content and creator develop or character development. Okay. So now she works like not just with Marvel, but she works with Disney about making sure, you know, we're representing our characters well and that diversity is, is there and that we're promoting things in the right way and, and, and how we can do better in the future and, and building, you know, to be more inclusive. And that's just really cool. Like that title didn't exist before her. They made that job for her. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and is yeah. That, is that, is, but is that something that you kind of eye up for the future down the road for you? Or are you like not even seeing past editing at the moment? I just like telling stories like, <laughs> you know, like that's that's why I got on into this business. And that's why I wanted to do comic book editing is I love telling stories and I love, you know, connecting with readers. And um, it's not to say, if, you know, if, you know, I wouldn't accept if, if I got, you know, a cool offer of something, you know, promotion like that. But I love the comics and I love making the comics and I don't. At this point in time, like, I really don't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. Well, I suppose you haven't been doing it for very long either. Has it been, like, three years? Um, I've been... I freelanced for a year before Marvel, and then I've been at Marvel almost two years. It'll be two years this winter. Okay. So, yeah, about three years. Yeah. So, I mean, like, when... What was the first uh, comic that you edited on for Marvel? At Marvel? Yeah. Uh, Princess Leia. Princess Leia number two was my first Marvel credit. That's a pretty sweet gig. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm. That's. I won't. I will admit. Like when I was interviewing, and then when they offered me the job, like I had to pinch myself. Like not only am I working at you know the the top publisher in the industry, but you're offering me to work on Star Wars and Deadpool, like the best selling <laughs> comics. Like, are you sure? <laughs> 
you don't want to give it to someone who's been there longer. <laughs> yeah, did you? Because that there's a fight, fight or flight reaction to those sort of things where you kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna nail this, or like, oh shit, I hope I don't fuck this up. Uh, it was more so that one. Like Deadpool, I felt a little more confident with because I, I mean, I love Deadpool, but I feel like he's a little easier to understand. Star Wars has like. I don't know, you know, it has this precedence before it and it's so epic and so big. And my first day I had to write an opening crawl, um, which is our recap pages. Right. And like now I'll write an opening crawl and it's no big deal because I've written something like 50 of those things now. But like I sat there for a good hour and I'm just like, I don't think I can do this. This is too much pressure. This is an opening crawl. (laughs) I know it's it's sets the tone. <laughs> <laughs> and like, okay, so uh, stepping back a bit, when you were a kid, what were the kind of the first comics that you got into? Uh, my first introduction to, to comics, period, was uh, the old Adam West and Burt Ward Batman sixty six television show. Right. Um. So, like that. That's my first like introduction to comics, even though it's TV. Um. I didn't really start reading comics though until middle school, but I was really into, uh, and I shouldn't have been reading these in middle school, <laughs> but I was into Sandman. Like that was right. my first. I think uh, I think that's a pretty common thing though. I think I think that age to get into comics is is, is, is pretty common. But also, I think when people jump in, there's that excitement of reading a grown up thing like Sandman. Yeah. It seems very cool when you're a teenager. Yeah, I, I definitely, like, if my mother knew what the content was, she definitely wouldn't have let me read it. <laughs> but it was that whole, like, oh, it's comics, it's for kids, whatever, you know. Um, They're thinking it was, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, Sandman was, all those Vertigo books, like Sandman, uh, Hellblazer was a big, big one for me. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed those books. And then from there, I moved into, like, more, you know, mainstream got into reading Avengers and Batman and, and Spider-Man and all that stuff. But, mm. uh, yeah. It's kind of, it's interesting, uh, how the face, like, is like, that would have been what the late nineties for you? Uh, early two thousands, early thousands. Okay. So, um, yeah, even just like in that time period, like how much like the comic scene has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of hilarious. Like it's, uh, I, I noticed recently that a lot there's a lot of like artwork that's going back to the like you know Scott Lee Fields like kind of like big muscles and guns situation again. <laughs> it's a weird thing, but like you, it's you, the the type of art that you were obviously drawn to was that kind of very painted, almost like the 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 UK inspired like 2008 style of like gritty kind of stuff, and that seems to have gone out of comics a little bit these days. A little bit, yeah. I mean, you get it here and there. You have a couple artists that 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 lean into it. I think. I mean, for me, from from like the business side, it's it's not as commercial. It's not as audience friendly, um, and so I think that's why you know publishers tend to steer away from it. You do get some cool covers out of that, right? Um, but you don't see you don't see a lot of interiors. But also, I know that to do art. Um, that cool, like painterly gritty way, it takes a lot longer to do. And when you're working on monthly books, time is everything. Yeah. Although, th- thankfully, some of the industry has seen sense with the, the, the new scheduling that's happening, where there's, like, it's common to take a break every couple of months. Yep. <laughs> um, that's really nice to see, because I'm sure there's a lot of like, like stress levels have gone down around the industry. With that oh, bit. yeah. When, when everything's not, or when they're like rotating teams of artists, you know, like you do five issues, and you do five issues, and you do five issues. <laughs> it's um, like, say, like an episode of Oprah, and you do five issues, and you yeah. do five yeah. <laughs> but but it does it, it makes it you know it makes it so like you're not having to like always I mean you you're always producing obviously but you're not like it's not as intimidating I guess okay and what what's it would you say things like scheduling and stuff like that is the hardest part of your job for editing I love it <laughs> The hardest part is keeping people to stick to their schedules. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose there's not a lot you can really do apart from, like, 
you know, get a bell and, and walk down the street shouting shame. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, it, 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 you build a level of trust, you know, between your freelancers and the editors. Um, and then it's also like up to the freelancers to just, just be honest about what they can handle. You know, if, it, if a freelancer says, oh yeah, I can do, you know, 20 pages in four weeks, no problem. And then the editor schedules you for that. And then the freelancer doesn't hit it. Like that's not the editor's fault Yeah. for scheduling you for that. If you told them absolutely no problem. Um, and, and vice versa. If you know, you tell the editor, like, I'm really sorry, but all I can do is, you know, I can, I can only do 20 pages in six weeks. And the editor's like, Oh, well we got five and I'm going to schedule you anyway. Why aren't you hitting this deadline? Like, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of push and pull that goes into it. And there's, there's a lot of trust to be had, um, with the creative team as a whole. Um, so yeah. Do you think the audiences are a little bit more forgiving now when a book is late? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because do you do you hear about it online? If people if a book is like, do you get a lot of people like griping to you about it? Not to me personally, but I I see it on the forums or like you definitely see it talked about on like you know like Bleeding Cool or or you know Twitter things like that. Um, so, but I think I think double shipping has also kind of ruined. Um, when people expect books to come out because like Deadpool double ships. So essentially every three weeks you have a Deadpool issue rather than every four or five. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, you'll have one month where you get two Deadpool issues, another month where you have one, two and one back and forth, back and forth. And then you have uh, Star Wars, which comes out monthly. You only get 12 issues of that a year. And I was reading on a Star Wars forum one day that they were just like, oh man the star wars book is delayed it hasn't come out in forever and i'm just like nope came out three weeks ago the next one comes out next week you know it's like oh it feels it feels like forever and it's because everything else is churning out so much faster that the monthly schedule now feels even slower to readers yeah and i'm worried about the the double shipping because i don't i really genuinely don't know how long that can be sustained like is it is have you like have you noticed any difficulty with doing it? I mean, we only do it on Deadpool. Okay. And so Deadpool ha- gets eighteen issues a year plus like maybe an annual, um, the Deadpool main series, and then you know we have all our crazy mini series we do. But mm. Deadpool has been running this way for three years now, and so it's kind of it it runs like a well oiled machine. Like we figured out how to make it work. And it works well. Um, I know there's a couple other books they've been trying it out on. Like Spider-Man's one of them. Or uh, Amazing Spider-Man is one of them. And I think that one's been doing okay. But uh, and, and so far the DC double ships seem to be okay. Though they're doing a lot more double shipping. Um, which is pretty intimidating. Like I, with the amount of books that they're double shipping, I'm like, I definitely don't want to take on that many. <laughs> Doing one book that double ships is enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Although I guess there must there must be a a uh, a result in in more artists being taken on to 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 deal with the double shipping. So I mean, yeah. there must be more jobs within the industry off the back of it, right? Yeah, there are definitely um, there there are definitely more jobs being being out there because the like I, I'm not sure how DC is doing it but how how we do it at Marvel is you know you switch artists every other arc you typically have like two art teams um so you know for Dead, Deadpool our A team is Mike Hawthorne and Terry Pallet and Jordi Belair and then our B team is Mateo Loli and uh, Guru FX so you know every five issues is, is a different art team. And then our sixth issues is you are, is usually a one shot. So we build even more space into that. Um, so like, yeah, that's how we figured it out. Um, and, and made it work for us. Although Darth Vader, Darth Vader are also double shipped, but our artist on that, Savile Roca is a machine and he has drawn all 25 issues himself. Damn. He is, he's, so fast it's unbelievable it is unbelievable how fast that man is wow uh yeah that's that's pretty crazy um there are a few people like that though there's one or two 
comic artists who just like I don't understand how they can like get that many out. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. It's like I normally, you know, you build your schedule to like this is how long the penciler takes, and so we work everyone around that. And and with Salva and Darth Vader, like we had to have Kieran script so many issues far in advance because of how fast Salva drew. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to keep him waiting on like the next script to come in. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's. I'm thankful for it, you know, because because you have you have sometimes um, you, you have people who take twice as long, and and so building those schedules are a little more difficult but uh it, it always keeps you on your toes <laughs> when you have someone that fast um in the last couple of weeks i've been to like three wedding things um how are you finding uh getting prepared for yours oh gosh um we're I, now about a year out yeah and this is when the planning really kicks in it's when the well so Zach and I have been engaged for a long time. <laughs> By the time we actually have our wedding, we'll be we'll have been engaged longer than we were dating before we were engaged. <laughs> um, because we got engaged three years ago, and like we were never in any rush to get married. Like we started planning the wedding, and then there was some you know there's some family drama that always comes with wedding planning. Oh yeah, and. Whenever there's drama, I'm just like, fuck it. I don't need to deal with this. You know, like, I don't I don't want to deal with the drama. If there's going to be drama. I'm just going to stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go uh, to Vegas and get married. <laughs> right. Like, that's, you know, I, I don't care. I don't. I know I'm going to be with Zach, so there's no rush. Yeah. Then we moved out here to New York. And la- we went back last year, last summer for two of our friends' weddings. And it was weirdly timed. Like one wedding was on a Friday and the next was the next was the next day. So we got them both in two days, which was really nice. Yeah. But it hit me there. Like we were supposed to have been married by then. And I got really super depressed. And so Zach was like, all right, as soon as we get back to Jersey, we're going to start planning again. And so now we're planning a wedding from like a thousand miles away, which is really hard to do. <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess because I get you're both. It, that's an unusual thing that both of your families are in the kind of same area, um, considering you're not in that area. Right. So yeah. there must be some level of easiness, though, the fact that at least both of your families are in the area that can help out. Kind of, except they're like... Both of our families are within the same state, but even that, our families are not close to each other. Oh, okay. So, like, his family is uh, outside of Detroit. My family is outside of Chicago, so it's a three-hour drive uh, in between our families. And then on top of that, where we're getting married isn't in either of those towns. (laughs) (laughs) Is it in between the two of them? No. (laughs) (laughs) Because... So when we were when we were still living in Michigan and we were looking for places like we were looking for places near either my my family or his family um and like there were places we liked but either they didn't fit our budget or we just weren't completely in love with them and so when we moved out here I was just like, you know what? As long as we do the wedding in Michigan, that's enough of a convenience for me. Like, you know, it's easier for them to drive a couple hours than it is for to them fly. to Right, for them to fly. Uh, so, yeah, our venue is actually two hours from either of our family. Okay, well, it's, in a way, it's equidistant. Yeah, in a way. Um, but it, it did cause a bit of a storm when there's, uh, you know, the, the in-laws and my parents are just like, what do you mean? You're not even doing it in either of our towns. Like, <laughs> now everyone has to travel. And I'm like, Whatever. I have to plan a wedding from a thousand miles away. You can drive two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and is it are you looking for a big affair or a small one? Um we would like it small, but we both come from very huge families, which makes it difficult. Oh yeah. His mom has eleven brothers and sisters. And my grandpa had 12 brothers and sisters. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of cousins. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you have a very Irish family. <laughs> we, we both come from Irish Catholic families. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, my dad has 14 in his family. Uh, my mom has eight. So, yeah. 
I don't understand that too. Like Ireland's such a tiny country. How does it fit all those people? <laughs> oh, we just export them to everywhere else. <laughs> this is how it works. Um, but it's it's uh, yeah. I've 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 noticed a couple of things that like you know because like I said I've had a, I've gone to a, a good few w- weddings with friends. I, I've reached that age now where all my friends are getting married. Right. Um, that uh, there's a few common problems in that the sense of the f- there's n- the family are never happy no matter what you do. And um, I'm noticing that rings are getting very different now for everybody's yeah. having very unusual wedding rings these days. Yeah, I mean, we're we're having normal wedding rings because um, we're boring, I guess. No, <laughs> you're traditional. Yeah, no, except we're not. Like our wedding is being is isn't very traditional, which is killing both of our parents. Because <laughs> um, like, so my mom is like super super strict Catholic, and so you know she wants the 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 ball gown and the church wedding and. Uh, all of that, which is, you know, if you've met me, that's not me whatsoever. And then Zach's mom definitely has, has dreamed up, well, this is the wedding I've always dreamed my little boy of having, um, which is super, super fancy. Which is unusual for people to dream about their son's wedding. Yeah, I don't know. She, that's, that's her. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's sweet. It's sweet. Um, but yeah, so like Zach and I, like, instead of you know, normal dress shoes. We want everyone in Converse. Um, and that, that this has been like the biggest battle that we've had. Um, because I, one, I, I've, I, already, I never understand I've already, I never understand why you have to battle the them though. I've already bought all the shoes. So it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Are they in a particular color or just black? Yeah. They're all, they're all Navy. Oh, Navy. Um, okay. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's just for, you know, for for parents who come from a very a time when like weddings were super like formal and 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 nice and fancy, and they weren't really about the bride and groom, they're more so about the two families coming together. Yeah. And now weddings are about like, oh, it's about who the bride and groom are as a couple. Um, so like to 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 our parents, it's very much like, oh my gosh, those are so trashy. Like, what are people gonna think? And we're just like, no, that's who we are. We like Converse. <laughs> I think anybody going to your wedding should know what you're like. And so, right. you'd, you'd hope. You'd hope at least. <laughs> <laughs> and are you having like a lot of uh, bridesmaids and groomsmen? Uh, no, not a lot. I'm. I think. I think only four, four or five. Oh, that's reasonable. Five. Oh, five. Oh, yeah. five, five seems like a lot to me. Um, it's it's not too much. Uh. I, I, uh, it's definitely not too much. Uh, Zach is the best man in a wedding in a couple weeks where I think there are 14 on each side. What? It's insane. How is there even room for them? I don't know. They're going to have to like stagger. Into yeah, the first <laughs> have, like, two risers. roles are just groomsmen. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's like, uh, it's the bride's like all of her sisters and cousins because she couldn't leave anyone out. And then the groom, it's his entire hockey team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah hockey seems to be like huge in zach's life uh well we are from hockey town detroit is hockey town so. is, it, is it as big for you or is it more his thing i've always enjoyed it um it's definitely more his thing but it has obviously been, become a much bigger part of my life since since i began dating him but i i love hockey it's a lot of fun um but uh yeah it, w- living in detroit hockey becomes a big part of your life no matter if you want it to or not. <laughs> yeah, no, I can I can imagine that. All right. Um, yeah, because I don't think Detroit has another team, does it? Uh, sports teams? Yeah. Oh, they have the Detroit Lions, which is a football team. Oh, that's uh, right. They have, they have the Tigers, which is a baseball team. They have the Pistons, which is basketball. They uh, it sounds like they might be getting a soccer team now too. Oh. So yeah, they got. They got I forgot entirely about. I didn't. I wouldn't have known the, the baseball team, but I did grow up with an interest in basketball. I forgot all about the the Pistons. Um, it's easy to forget about them. Yeah. <laughs> They're not very good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I should have remembered the 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 Lions because I think isn't Paul Dini a huge uh, Detroit Lions fan? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I should have remembered that. Um. But yeah, it's kind of it's interesting. I because. It, 
we are being in Ireland. It's it's a it's we're in the middle of Europe and America. We're just like we're the you know the thing connecting the two of them, and so we we grew up with a lot of pop culture from both sides. And uh, weirdly, even though we don't have like you know any sort of like Irish like you know American football team, um, every kid I knew grew up playing Madden. And, really? Oh yeah, we all played Madden when we were kids on like our oh, Sega Genesis and stuff like that. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, but we also played uh, the NHL games as well because um, you know you got to make Gretzky's head bleed and stuff. Like it was, Abs- yeah. <laughs> it was what greater appeal is there than that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's weird. So like it's, um, but NHL out of out of all of them, I think uh, was I think that even though we played the video game, it was sh- known the least as a sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't. I feel like even in the states, it's kind of like the fourth of the American sports. Like it would kind of be, like you know, uh, football, basketball, baseball, then hockey. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely not as big here as as some of the other sports. And I think it's because like hockey really doesn't have casual fans. Like you're either a diehard hockey fan or you're not. Okay. Um, and why do you think that is? One, I think, well, tickets are just outrageously expensive. Because right. um, stadiums don't seat as many people. Uh, and then I think part of it, too, it's, it's one of the more expensive sports to play. And so, because, like, like basketball and baseball, it's easier for your kid to, like, pick up and play it. And so, obviously, they're going to grow up and be a fan. Um, that same makes with- sense. Same with football, but with hockey, you have to have skates, you have to be near ice, you have to have a stick, you know, you have to have all this equipment, you have to have the helmets. Um, yeah, I guess it, it, there's probably a lot less like high school hockey teams as well. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot of them. It's it's only like you know the surrounding Detroit area where like hockey is huge. Up north where there's ice everywhere, you know, or the or the more wealthy schools that have have the money for it it's it's definitely one of the more expensive sports to play and therefore because you can't have you know not a lot of kids grow up playing it the fan base is going to be smaller okay so here's here's the thing that i've been i've been pitching this to everybody recently and everyone Uh just looks at me like i'm an idiot so i want you to see if you can back me up on this okay i think there should be more sports comics because I think there's a market there to tell, because like t- seasons are so dramatic in sports mm-hmm. that surely you can tell a story. Because there's so many sports movies, you know. There's even like sports TV shows that do well, like Friday Night Lights and all that kind of stuff. Why isn't sports and comics a bigger thing? I think probably because a lot of the people who make comics didn't play sports. <laughs> But there are some that are are sports fans. There are, absolutely. But I think, I mean, you tell the stories that you're passionate about. And I think, you know, a lot of a lot of the creators and, and not bashing any 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 who were who did play sports and not bashing anyone who who didn't play sports. I just think it's one of those like there's not as much crossover. Um also I think making sports dramatic in a comic is hard. Um, you know, like, because there's all that action, how many panels is it going to take to clearly depict something with that tension? And that's why I think the best comics, sports comics that, that would do well, um, are wrestling. I think that, because that's the closest to, you know, two superheroes brawling in the streets, you know, just two brawling in a ring. Um, and there have been a couple of wrestling comics that have done, done okay. So I think that's the closest but as for more like commercial sports, like football, like I don't, I don't really know. I, I think it'd be, I'd love to see it, but I think it'd be really difficult. Yeah, it was, I, I grew up because it was a famous, um, it was a newspaper comic strip, so there was like you know only like four panels or so every every day. But uh, there was a famous one in, in the UK called Roy of the Rovers, and um, I know uh, 2000 AD just bought the rights to it. 
and I'm kind of like, yes, this needs to happen. <laughs> Um, but it was very much it was it focused very little on the actual like football and it was more so about like you know what girls he was dating and uh, you know if he was fighting with anybody in the locker room like it was kind All of right. it was more of a thing <laughs> but uh, yeah I, I just um, I do agree with you on the wrestling thing and, I, and it's amazing how many wrestling fans there are in comics too because uh, if you see any kind of pay-per-view on TV and you go to the Twitter, like pretty much half of the comics community are live tweeting. Them. I, I always feel like such an outsider when that happens because Zach's a huge wrestling wrestling fan too. Like he used to wrestle and he he loves wrestling. And and a lot of my comic friends are, are big into it too. And so whenever there's, you know, it's, it's Monday Night Raw or whatever and everyone's tweeting about it, I'm just like, I'm going to stay off the internet tonight. I don't, <laughs> I don't belong here. <laughs> you haven't been tempted to try and get into it? I, I can't take it seriously. Like, Zach, he'll have, he'll have it on and I'll, like, watch it with him and ask all these questions. And I just, I can't buy it. <laughs> it is essentially uh, like a soap opera for men. I feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's like, it's the same deal. There's always some sort of like, you know, dramatic, like, you did what? Uh, moments, you know, every night. And But it's instead of them, you know, just giving each other filthy looks and, and eating pasta, it's uh, it's still someone will like slap somebody in the ring. <laughs> well, I think, I think part of it for me too is like, okay, so we all know it's fake. We all know it's staged, yada, yeah. yada, yada. Because Zach used to do it, like he's explained a lot more about like how it goes down to me. And I think that's where it gets just so ridiculous for me that I just can't get into it where like, Oh, they'll hide razor blades on their hands so they can cut themselves and make themselves bleed. And I'm just like, what sane person would do that? <laughs> oh, they're not sane. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> well, yeah, But I'm just like, like, okay, you know, you beating each other up and doing these ridiculous moves. Fine. Go for it. <laughs> Purposely hiding razor blades amongst your body so you can cut yourself to make it look more dramatic. I'm surprised no one's lost an eye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, this is so ridiculous. But, I mean, to each their own. If you guys enjoy it, and, and obviously they're making tons of money off of it, so, you know, keep doing it. But I just, it, it's it's just funny to me. Yeah, well, in a way, it's still less violent than hockey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, like, hockey's not staged, though. Like, hockey, you want to see him fight. You want to see those gloves drop. <laughs> That's always, I, it's, I've always been amused about how the referees don't even try and break it up until like just being like oh he's won that fight then i can separate them now yeah yeah well i mean you know that they're both going to be put in the penalty box anyway so you might as well get some entertainment out of it (laughs) (laughs) um it's uh because you said you grew up in a hockey town i mean like did you ever like date a hockey player well zach (laughs) <laughs> oh, but is, I don't. I can't imagine him being like a typical hockey playing guy. He's no, he's definitely not. He's a little. He's a little bit more, I guess, down to earth than your typical hockey player. But he's also a goalie too, so I think that that might be why because he's not like part of like. I mean, he's part of the team, but he's not, you know, part of the, the lines that, that go out on the team. Right. And we connected with our goalie background. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I never I never dated, like, your typical, like, hockey bro, I guess you would say. I've, I've definitely hung out with a lot of them, and, and uh, I love them all. But, uh, but, no. No, I haven't. Yeah, no, I'm kind of, I'm always fascinated because, like, again, it's it's that idea of, like, we learn most of our things about American culture from afar. Yeah. Uh, and it's often movies that, like, influence or, like, our perspective of what things are like in the States. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I've just seen so many teen movies and, like, expect, like, the, the ridiculously over-the-top, like, we're the jocks and, you know, hey, nerds, like, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's not that bad, thank God. <laughs> Although I'm sure you might have some pockets where it is, and that makes me quite sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, when you grew up in school, like did, what was there clear lineage, like of you know, oh, this is this is the table where those kids eat. I think. I mean, I think the smaller the town, the more likelihood of that 
being true, it is. Um, so I went to a relatively, like, not a tiny school, but a relatively small school. And so you did have your clearly defined, these are the preps, these are the sporty kids, these are the, you know, the goths, these are, you know, the artsy ones. Um, it wasn't as clearly defined as it is in Mean Girls, where you wear black, you wear stripes, you wear pink. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it was kind of like that to a degree. Um which is I don't know. It's just it's just interesting how how humans how we how we do that. I know. Would you would you would have been in the one of the popular groups? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> not not at all. I was I was always weird. Like people always thought me kind of weird um, and a bit. I don't want to say like not socially awkward, but just yeah. Cause you, very... se- you seem quite comfortable chatting to people like anytime yeah, I've been around with you. I, I have. I've never had any problem talking to people, but I think like I can be very blunt and very honest and uh, I don't, I don't do, I don't do small talk and, you know, I want to talk about things and, and I think, you know, I think I've kind of always been like that. And so people are just like, we want to talk about them all. And I'm like, I want to talk about, you know, this movie and let's, let's break it down. And people are like, you're weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, I guess on that note, uh, we should probably wrap things up, uh, our small talk today. Um, <laughs> but uh, I always ask everybody what uh, song they want to play out on. So what song would you like to, to play out your podcast on? Ooh, let's go with Welcome Home by Coheed and Cambria. Oh, okay. Coheed and Cambria, am I right in thinking they're from Wales? No, they're from, they're from Jersey, actually. Oh, okay. I, the Cambria thing threw me off because I think that's an area in Wales. It's possible. <laughs> okay cool so yeah um, thank you very much for chatting to me Heather thank you I... for uh, having me this was fun yeah I'm glad I'm glad you had fun 